All right, let's pray together, shall we? Father, we gather again together tonight to look into your word. I thank you for a really powerful time of worship and singing to you. We could cry out and we could declare your holiness and God, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that gift to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move. I pray you would convict of sin, that, Father, you would draw those who don't know Jesus to Jesus. God, for those who do, I pray that you would help us to fall more and more in love with you tonight as we're reminded of what it is that you paid for, Jesus, and what it is that you endured, and what it is that you accomplished, not because we deserved it, but by your grace. So Holy Spirit, take a feeble attempt on my part. God, anoint this time and do a great work. God, make the book of Acts look tame in what you do tonight. Pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, Amen. 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 We left off yesterday in Genesis 3. Remember Adam and Eve broke it? And then it's in that same chapter that God declared, this is how I'm going to fix it. That's in verse 21 where it says that God made them garments of skin and clothed them. And, and I said, I remember how that points to something innocent had to die. Because of the sin of others, something innocent had to die. The shedding of blood in order that they can then cover their shame And how that picture then points to what it is that Jesus would accomplish for us. Friends, for those of you who've been brought up in the church, there is this this thing that can happen when we repeat this over and over, and there's nothing wrong with repeating it, but when we start to lose the heart behind it, we start to lose the message that really is supposed to capture our soul. Then when you hear, hey, Jesus died for you, and you're like, I already know that. Friends, when we stop and think what it is that he went through, what he endured because of us, not just for us, but because of us, Jesus has already finished the Last Supper with his disciples. And the disciples notice a difference in Jesus' countenance. Seems like there's just this weight on him that is too much to bear. Then Jesus says these words to all of them. All of you tonight will desert me. All of you are going to take off. And Simon Peter's listening to this and he just doesn't agree with it. And so he looks at Jesus and says, no, 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 no. Even if all of these fall away, I never will. And then Jesus looks at him and says, oh, oh Peter, you're, you're not just going to desert me. You're going to deny even knowing me three times before the rooster crows. Can you imagine Simon? No, 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 no. And he kept saying no. And then all the other disciples start backing up. No, we won't either. We're not leaving. And he doesn't argue about it. He knows what's coming. They go from there, they go to a garden. 
And Jesus had gone there often to pray and to be alone with the Father. And, and so the disciples come with him and he takes three, Peter, James, and John, and he brings them with him a little further. And he just says this, would you pray? Would you pray? And then the Bible says that Jesus went about a stone's throw away and collapsed to the ground. And he says, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Guys, when he says this cup, the cup in the Old Testament is a representation of the wrath of God. And so what Jesus is actually saying in the garden, he's like, take your wrath from me, but not my will, your will be done. Guys, when he's saying these, it, it kind of sounds like what he's saying is, I don't want to do it. I don't want to experience all of it. Oh, take your wrath from me, Father. But not my will, your will be done. The Bible says that he goes back to the three. Anybody remember what they're doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. Even Peter, the one who said he would go to prison with Jesus and die for Jesus, couldn't even stay awake and pray for Jesus. And I used to, I used to judge them. I'm like, why couldn't you do that? I would have done that. But has anyone ever, <laughs> ever tried to pray once you get into bed? Like you get into bed and the covers are up and it's cold out, but now it's not. And you're like, yes. And you're doing that wiggle, trying to find, where's that? Where's that spot? Boop, there it is. And then you start to pray. You're like, Jesus, I just want to thank you. Gone. And you wake up like 14 hours later going, amen. Amen. Your friends, what'd you do last night? I just prayed all night, all night. Guys, I used to judge them until I find myself, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. I have this intention that I, I, it's in my heart, I'm gonna do it, and, and I fall asleep. And so then Jesus wakes him and he says, guys, I know the body is weak, the, flesh, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, you've gotta pray. The Bible says that he goes away again and he prays the same, the same thing, Father, take this cup from me. Not my will, but your will be done. He comes back and they're, they're conked out again. And he leaves and he goes and prays again. He prays that a third time, but he also prays something else. In John chapter 17, you see the prayer of Jesus while he's in the garden. And it's in John 17, around chap, or chap, or chapter 17, verse 23 or 24, where Jesus says this, Father, this is what I want. I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all of my glory. Guys, it's the only time that I can think of in the gospel accounts when Jesus prays where he says something like, this is what I want. Every other time he's saying, this is, I only do the things I see the Father doing. I only, I only say the things that I hear him saying. But here he's saying, Father, this is what I want. I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all my glory. So guys, when you connect that prayer to him saying, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. The scriptures never say that the Father answered. There was an angel that came and ministered to him, but it never says that the Father spoke. Friends, Jesus was so terrified 
that Luke, Dr. Luke, he actually recorded that Jesus began to sweat drops of blood. Friends, did you know that there's a medical condition called hematidrosis? When you're under enough anxiety or terror, you're terrified of something. Friends, it's possible the capillaries in your forehead will burst and you will sweat drops of blood. But Jesus is terrified of what's coming. And then he comes back to his disciples and he has to wake them up. And then he, he goes, guys, get up, get up. And then he says these words, my betrayer's at hand. And there's Judas leading this little mob with torches and clubs and ropes. Guards from the temple are coming to arrest Jesus. Can you imagine the three stand up, the rest of the disciples get around Jesus. And there's a conversation that goes on, but there's this main part. It's like, who are you looking for? And we're looking for Jesus. And he says, I am he. And then all of a sudden, everyone just hits the floor. It doesn't even say in the passage why. It just says they hit the floor. And I wonder if it's because he said, I am he. A reference back to Exodus chapter three when God said, hey, you know what name you should tell him? Tell him I am. I am. In other words, I will be who I will be. Friends, we do not get to dictate to God who he should be. He is who he is. Happens a second time and then they stand up and as they're trying to arrest Jesus and, and bind him, all of a sudden, one of the disciples pulls out this small, store, a small sword and hacks off a dude's ear. You gotta ask, like, what, was he, what was he aiming for? Like he got the ear. I mean, maybe he's just this incredible swordsman where he's like, God. Who's next? Or, and it's Peter. <laughs> All of a sudden he's, ah! And maybe that's why Jesus said, oh, Peter, put it away. That's embarrassing. The Bible then says that Jesus went over and picked up the ear off the ground and walked up to Malchus and healed him. Friends, he healed the one who came to arrest him. And you know what the disciples did? They bolted. Every single one of them. You don't have to do a show of hands, but has anyone ever felt abandoned? Jesus gets it. He knows what it feels like. Anyone here, anyone here ever have, uh, have a who you thought was a good friend stab you in the back. Jesus gets it. He understands it. So they all take off and they bind Jesus and they walk him to the, to the courtyard of the high priest's house. They don't take him to the temple. It's the middle of the night. This is illegal. What they're doing, they're, they're gonna put up this fake trial that's illegal. And, and so they bring Jesus into the courtyard and somehow John gets in there and sneaks Peter in. And while they're warming themselves around the fire, this little girl walks up to Peter and says, yeah, you were with him. He says, I don't know him. No, no, I, I saw you. You're with of his. I don't know him. And then this man looks at him and says, no, 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 I, I can tell by your accent. You're one of his disciples. And then Peter passionately says, 
May God curse me. I don't know the man. And the rooster crowed. The Bible says that where Jesus is sitting, he looked straight and gazed into the eyes of Peter. Didn't say a word. And Peter looking to the eyes of his Messiah and the eyes of his rabbi. Oh, can you just, can you imagine the shame and the guilt and the weight of what it is that he did knowing when he stood saying, I would die with you and now he can't even, he can't even associate himself with them. The Bible says that he ran away and wept bitterly. And throughout the night, Jesus would be slapped and beaten. They start asking him questions and he's remaining silent. They bring these false witnesses in. These false accusations are being made against him. Has anyone ever here been accused of something you didn't do? Jesus gets it. He understands you. And then the high priest finally says something like this. Would you just tell us, are you the Messiah? And then Jesus says something like this. It is as you say. And from this moment on, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Why would he say that? Because it's a reference to Daniel. The book we've been looking at. Where it talks about the Son of Man who has dominion and authority and power that's been given to him. Jesus is referencing himself to be God. And the high priest says, we've heard everything. We don't need anything else. We don't need the witnesses. The high priest tears his robe and he deserves to die. And they take a vote. But friends, they can't, they can't execute him on their own under Roman law. And so they take him before Pilate. We'll fast forward. Pilate then says, hey, he's not in my jurisdiction. Send him to Herod. Herod's like this fake little king. He's standing there and saying, hey, tell me some stories or do some tricks. And Jesus isn't saying, pretty much he's saying nothing. Herod's like, I don't want to deal with it. Send him back to Pilate. And so he's standing before Pilate and Pilate's starting this conversation with him. And Jesus isn't saying anything. And all of a sudden, Pilate says something like this. Do you not understand that I have the authority to release you? And then Jesus steps up. And friends, this is my paraphrase. It's like Jesus looked at him and said, oh, Pilate, you're JV. Welcome to varsity. Like this whole plan has been put in motion before time began. Friends, I shared this passage out of Ephesians chapter one early in our week together. That it says, before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in him. Guys, that means... God knew the fall would happen. Don't ever think that this is plan B. Like plan A was the garden, and then plan B is the cross. There is no plan B with the sovereign creator of the universe. Guys, he's in charge. So it's really hard for us to sit and go, oh, he made a mistake, and now he's cleaning up. He has never made mistakes. He's never asked, has to ask for forgiveness. Friends, it was part of the plan of God. You may sit there and go, why, guys? I would not understand the amazing grace. I wouldn't understand the forgiveness, the mercy, the love of God had it not been for the fall. I wouldn't get it.
He looks and says, the authority you have has been given to you by my Father in heaven. You're a pawn. The Bible says that from that moment on, Pilate tried to get him released. Trying to think of all these ways that he could get him released while still looking like he's in control and in power. So he looks at the religious leaders and says, I don't find anything worthy of death, and so I'll have him flogged. And then I'll release him. Friends, this is flogging. This is what Jesus would endure. They would take Jesus and there would be a vertical beam. They would strip Jesus of his clothing so he's naked and they would take his wrists and tie leather strip around his wrist and then tie that strip to the top of that post. So now his back is completely exposed. They would have two Roman guards, one on each side, each of them holding what's called the cat of nine tails. Cat of nine tails, picture this, an, an, a stick about 18 inches long, and then there's leather strips that are tied at the end of it. And at the end of the leather strips are pieces of metal, glass, razor, bone, sharp rock, guys, it's a claw. 39 times from his neck to his calves. And friends, these Roman guards were they were experts in this. Every time it came across the back of Jesus, they would change the ankle and pull as hard as they could so that his flesh is ripped open. Guys, there's historical accounts where a Roman guard could come around the back of someone, grab onto their stomach, and rip it open. Guys, this was, this was torture. And why 39 times? Because too many people died at 40. So they pulled it back one to show mercy. Guys, can you imagine, can you imagine the pain? What that would feel like, all the blood that's pouring out of his body. And can't you imagine at some point, as he's now, as he's been untied and he's just laying there, can you imagine him just whispering this to himself, Father, I want them to be with me. I want them to be with me. Then Roman guards would come and pick him up and they found this robe and they put it on, this purple robe, and then they found these thorns and then they made this makeshift crown. They put it on his head then they took rods. The Bible says they took rods and they smashed it against his skull to make sure it stayed there. Then they'd blindfold him, hit him with rods and beat him in the face. And then they say, oh, prophesy, who hit you? Then they take the blindfold off and there's five to 600 Roman guards all mocking him. Friends, this is... This is Jesus. This is God in flesh. Oh, hell, King of the Jews. And he said nothing. And they bring him back before Pilate. And Pilate came up with this plan. He says, it's customary for me at this time, in this time of year, to release one prisoner to you. And you have a choice. You can have Jesus or Barabbas. You have Jesus or the murderer. Friends, this is, a, this is a church league softball pitch. This is, I mean, Pilate's thinking this is, I'm gonna get him released, we're gonna be done. And all of a sudden, the religious leaders start saying what? Give us Barabbas, Barabbas. The crowd starts saying the same thing. They start screaming out his name. And Jesus just stood there quiet. And he says, what do you want me to do with him? 
And then the chant starts. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. It's amazing what happens when you can get the mob, get the crowd to just start going with something. Crucify him. Crucify him. Everyone's screaming at guys. This is the part that blows my mind. Less than a week before, Jesus is riding in on a colt of a donkey. And a lot of these people are in that same crowd. And when he's coming in, they're saying, oh, Hosanna. The word Hosanna means save now. They're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That last phrase, what they're doing is they're declaring him, we believe you to be the Messiah. And less than a week later, they're calling for his crucifixion. How could it have happened? Because before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in him. This was God's thing. And so Pilate signs the edict. He washes his hands in front of everyone there as a way to say, hey, my hands are clean, his blood's on you. And they're like, not just on us, but on our kids. And they would take the robe off of Jesus. They'd put his clothes back on, but they kept the crown on there. And to get him ready for the 600 yards, give or take walk that he has to walk to the place of the skull, Golgotha, Calvary, they would take the crossbeam of the cross that weighs between 70 to 120 pounds. They would place it across the shoulders of Jesus. He would then have to hold on to it and grip it. And then he began to walk. Friends, nowhere in the scriptures does it say that Jesus was pushed, was prodded. No, he walked. Why would he walk? Because in the garden he said this, Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am to see me in all my glory. And so he takes the steps necessary to fulfill his desire. As he's walking, the Bible says that people made their way through the Roman guards that were surrounding him. They would break through and some would pull chunks of his beard out and spit on him. Others would slap him. And he just kept walking. I mean, he just kept going. At one point, he can't handle anymore he stumbles and collapses and can you imagine 120 pounds landing straight on you? Friends, that might have started the problem with his heart. So they find some guy, come here, pick it up. Mm -mm, I can't do it. I can't, it's a disgrace, man. No, pick it up. It's a guy named Simon, not Peter, Simon. Can you imagine as Simon is picking the 120 pounds off or so, 7 to 120, or 120 pounds, picking them off of Jesus and holding it. Maybe he helps Jesus up. Maybe he doesn't say it in the passage, but maybe he helps him up. And as Jesus is climbing up, what if he just looks at him with eyes almost swollen shut? And what if he just whispers this, I want him to be with me. So Simon takes the crossbeam of the cross and and Jesus continues the walk. They get to Golgotha and they would take Jesus and completely strip him naked in order to shame him. They would take the cross beam and attach it to the vertical beam. Then Jesus being fully naked, they would lay him across the cross. They would take one arm and stretch it out as far as they could and take a railroad spike and then drive it between the two wrists and, or the two bones in his wrist. 
They would take one arm and stretch it out as far as they could the other way. And they would take a railroad spike and drive it through that wrist. Then they would take one foot, place it up over the other, bend up his knees, and drive a spike through both. And the Bible says that as they did that, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it's only recorded that that he said it once, but the way that it's worded in the original language means this, that Jesus just kept saying it over and over and over. With each swing of the mallet, he just kept screaming, Father, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, they don't know. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, they don't know. Then they would take the cross and move it vertical. And as they moved it vertical, gravity would pull down on the body of its creator. Jesus can't hold himself up. And as his body begins to hang, the weight would cause his shoulders to dislocate and his elbows to dislocate. And still, I don't think that this is why he sweat drops of blood. Friends, as he hung there, he was, put, he, was, he was attached about nine in the morning. In order, for, in order for Jesus to breathe, because you didn't die from crucifixion because you bled too much. Most people probably weren't flogged before this. But in order to breathe, when you're hanging down, you can inhale, but to exhale, you have to pull up on the spikes in your wrist and push up on the one in your feet. And then his back that's been mangled is now moving up and down across that rugged cross. And so it wouldn't be these long breaths, and he doesn't say a lot from the cross because it's too painful. It would be more like, (gasps) for six hours, he's just trying to breathe. Guys, the Bible doesn't say anything about this part. You ever wondered what the angels are doing? Do you ever wonder what Michael the archangel's doing? I mean, can't you just look at, Father, send me, send me. Nothing. At about noon, the sky went dark like midnight. And Jesus somehow gets these words out. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's why I think he sweat drops of blood. Friends, the physical thing is one thing. But a break in intimacy and fellowship and relationship with the Father. Oh, the Trinity had never experienced this. Guys, it's the only time when I see that Jesus prays where he doesn't call God Father. Every other time he refers to God, he calls him Father. The the word Father in the Aramaic is the word Abba. Abba is the word for Dada or Papa. It's what a one-year-old calls Dad. But here he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, it's my conviction that at this moment, Jesus was experiencing the full and complete wrath of the Father, of God, upon him for the sin of the world. He took it all. Every sin before that moment, every sin in that moment, and all of our sin to follow, all of it placed on Jesus. And Jesus taking the full wrath, deserved wrath of our sin upon himself.
that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He's attached the cross at 9 a.m. As it gets close to 3, give or take. Jesus then says these words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Guys, I think that is such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful thing for him to say, and here's why. He just got done saying not too long before that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when it's time, he knows he's about ready to die. His heart is just going, trying to find any bit of blood left to circulate through his body. He knows the heart of the Father, and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's almost like, hey, you're almost there. You're almost there. The Father's like, just come on a little bit more. And then there's this last phrase that Jesus says, and friends, I know that it says, and Jesus said, and then the phrase, and it almost sounds like he just barely got it out. No, 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 no. I think this one, he screamed. I think, I think the universe shook. And all of a sudden, he pulls up on the spikes in his wrist and pushes up on his feet because this is a climax. It's over after this. He just pulls up and says, it is finished. And he dies. Jesus literally from the cross in that moment, you know what he said? What he said is a banker's term. It is finished is not quite the translation. What he actually said was this, paid in full. It's been paid in full. It's done. All the Old Testament sacrifices were only pointing to what it is that Jesus would accomplish the writer of Hebrews says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and to goats to actually bring about forgiveness. All of those were pictures of what it is that Jesus would go through. He would be what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, when he breathed his last, the scene shifts from the cross to the temple. And in the temple, there's the most holy place. The most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was thought that that's where God resided. The most holy place was separated from the rest of the temple by what scholars think, most scholars say, is this super thick uh, curtain that some scholars say is about 18 inches thick. The, the high priest went into the holy place, the most holy place, one time a year to present a sacrifice for the sin of the people of Israel. When Jesus died, the earth shook. Then the scene shifts to the temple. And that curtain that separates them from the most holy place was torn from top to bottom as if the father took his finger and sliced that open and declared, you now have access to me because it's been paid in full. Everything necessary has been done. Sacrifice is no longer necessary. Do you remember what I said if I could... If I could tweet the scriptures in one 160 character tweet, it would be God with us that we might be with him. Friends, that's what this is all about. For those of you that don't have a relationship with Jesus, 
Can I ask you a question? You don't have to answer. I don't want you to answer this. Just think objectively, not emotionally. Can you at least see why we followers of Jesus are so passionate about him? And those of you without Christ, no one will ever love you like that, ever. Friends, he did not have to do that. Welcome to grace. He wanted to. Friends, God doesn't need us. He wants us. It's different. He's not codependent on us. He wants us. Jesus paid everything necessary, everything, so we could be in relationship with him. And then he did the unthinkable. Before he even went to the cross, he made a prediction. This is what's going to happen. They're going to hand me over to the authorities. They're going to beat me down. They're going to beat me. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to die. But three days later, I'm going to pull off Easter. He predicted it. Friends, do you realize that there is more evidence showing the validity of the resurrection of the dead than almost anything else? There is so much evidence to the point that Jesus actually came back from the dead. Friends, I used to preach this without that part. When, I first, when God first started opening doors and I get to go preach at camps, and I'm like, oh, I have made it. Woo! I remember speaking to this camp once, and I, I, go, I met this kid before. It was like earlier on in the week, and he didn't know the Lord. I'd just been praying for him, and that was during the, I had, I had a, kind of had a big ego then. I was still praying, and I remember I preached this message, and, and I, I, I would have kids come forward if they wanted to surrender to Jesus because it made me feel pretty powerful. Like, they're coming to me. They're coming toward me. That's horrible. And so I remember, I was, he was in the back. I remember where, exactly where we were sitting. I said, head, heads bowed, eyes shut. Guys, if you want to surrender to Jesus, just come forward. All of a sudden, he goes like this. He goes, uh-uh. I'm like, get him. Get him, get him, get him, get him, God. And all of a sudden, that guy stood up, and we walked forward. I'm like, be cool, because I'm the pastor. The next day, he comes up, and he said, Brian, did you see? I said, I saw, dude. I've been praying for you. I'm so excited for you. He goes, can I ask you a question? I said, absolutely. He goes, hey, what happened next? I'm like, what? And he's on the cross. He died. Like, what happened after that? And in my head, I'm thinking, you little brat. Why weren't you listening? I mean, if, and I went, oh. Guys, in my message, I left Jesus on the cross. You know why? Because it's easier to guilt people into making a fake decision rather than trusting the Lord that he's going to do what he does so people actually make a true decision. Guys, I've never forgotten from that day to finish the story. Friends, on that day, Jesus, he breathed his last and his body was placed in this borrowed tomb. But friends, that first Easter morning, the earth shook again. Guys, I don't think it shook just because there was this simple earthquake. I think all of creation celebrated when its creator just came back from the dead. Guys, I want you to understand why that's so important. If Jesus did not come back from the dead, that means when we die, we can't beat death if Jesus didn't. Jesus came back from the dead, giving us freedom from sin and victory over death. Guys, think of one of my favorite things to do, and it sounds, it sounds morbid. As a pastor, 
I love doing funerals for people who just love Jesus. And I hurt with the families and I miss them. But friends, it turns into this worship celebration and hope and joy. Why? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And they're looking at Jesus. Guys, think about it. All that. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, you cannot do enough good things to make yourself right with God. I say this as lovingly as I can. Every other world religion, every other thought, philosophy that's not connected to Jesus and the truth of what the scriptures teach is wrong. There is no other way. It's like, well, how can you be so sure? Guys, the dude that pulled off Easter says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You may say, I disagree. Okay, I'm going to side with the dude that pulled off Easter and somebody who's 15. I'm going to take him every single time. Guys, what else could he do to prove to you that he loves you? Guys, that's how serious sin is. And God has to punish sin. You say, well, why? Because if God did not punish sin, he would not be loving. You say, that doesn't make any sense. Those who have oppressed and hurt and take advantage of people all their lives, if God were not to punish them, are you telling me that God is still being loving toward them or toward the victims? Isn't it amazing? We want justice so long as it's not toward us. That's when we want mercy. He has to punish sin. But he punished Jesus on our behalf. Brian, what if I don't want to surrender to Jesus? then you will stand before the creator one day. You will stand before the judge. And he will judge you. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you will be judged correctly and rightly. And you will spend eternity away from God in hell. I don't like that topic. I don't like that either. But I'm not going to apologize for God. Guys, that's the truth. Why would I say it? Because I love you enough to tell it to you. And I would repeat the words of Paul as he, as he wrote a second letter to a bunch of Christians in Corinth. He says, I implore, I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How do you do it? Friends, for those of you who have no relationship with Jesus, just pay attention, please. Like I said, you can't do enough good things to get to God. The Bible says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You say, well, I just say some words. No, 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 that's not exactly what it means. The word confess there means to say something in such a way that your life will follow the declaration that you just made. The word Lord means master. So friends, it's not just, hey, repeat these words after me and you're fine. No, at some point you go, hey, I'm a sinner. I can't present myself right before God. So God, I got nothing. Jesus, I declare you to be my master. 
In other words, I surrender. I give up all my rights. And when you think, um, what am I exchanging? I'm exchanging my life for his. No, no, no. You're exchanging your deadness in sin that you could receive life in Jesus. It's different than what we're so used to. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you call out to him, you will be saved. That is the gift. But friends, this is how it goes together. When you say, I surrender my life to you, Jesus, and I want to follow you the rest of my life. That's what it means to surrender. I want to follow you because that's the invitation. And when I say I want to follow you, I surrender. Jesus goes, great, first gift is salvation. That's been taken care of. That's the gift. There is no way to God outside of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. As the worship team comes back up. I'm going to give those of you who have never surrendered your life to Jesus an opportunity to do so. Why would I explain it, the whole thing? Because I, I want us to get it. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to, in just a second, and catch this. I want to make sure you get this. You do not have to stand up to surrender to Jesus. You are not saved by any work. Does that make sense? You don't have to. But the reason I give you an invitation to do so is because of this. Guys, I still remember August 1991, third row, we're at Angles. I stood up in this room because I was declaring Jesus as Lord. I remember the day. So it's more for you that you could remember the day. But we're also gonna do it this way. We're gonna do it with the heads up and eyes open. Everyone gets to watch. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. Guys, the Bible says that when one who is lost comes home, all of heaven celebrates. All of heaven. That means God who sits on the throne, Jesus who's seated at the right hand of the Father, they lead the party. Guys, I remember when I first started doing youth ministry, middle school ministry. I took kids to, to camp, and for, it was Saturday night because it was weekend camp, so that's cry night. And they invited people to know Jesus, and, but he started this way. Everyone bowed, you had to close your eyes, and so, okay. And he says, if you want to accept Jesus into your, into your heart or into your life, I'm like, now? That makes me cringe. I'm not accepting Jesus into my life because I don't have one before Jesus. You don't accept, hey, you can come into my life and be like a hobby, like everything else. No, no. But he said, if you want to accept Jesus into your, into your life, just raise your hand. And so I had my head bowed, but then I wanted to know, like, did any of my students do this? And so I started to peek. So he's like, and then that, as I'm looking, he goes, no peeking. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, don't send me to hell. I'm so sorry. I'm, I didn't know it was a no-no. I didn't know. So I kept my eyes shut. And then he starts to count. He's like, I see that hand. The Christian's like, we like that phrase. I see that hand. I'm like, well, of course you do. I see that hand. I see that hand. I don't say that anywhere else. And he starts to count. 
One, two, three, four, five, nine. I'm like, five, nine? You missed some numbers there, buddy. Nine, oh, 21, 47, 306. I'm like, there's only 200 kids here. There's like, staff members are getting saved right now. 41,000. I'm like, gosh, the county just got saved. And nobody got to see. And a while back, I started thinking, okay, all of heaven's celebrating. Do you ever wonder if the angels are looking at us and they're looking at Jesus going, why do they do that? Like, they're all just going, yeah, and here's us. And for some reason, I think it's because you want to say this, I want to make it as easy as possible for someone. Guys, this... Salvation is the gift that Jesus gave, but discipleship will cost you everything for the rest of your life. Therefore, Jesus has to be worth it. For those of you that don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never surrendered to him, this is your time. Either you've maybe you've made a decision before now, like sometime earlier this week that you surrendered to Christ. And I'll invite you to stand if you want to. The whole purpose to have you stand is that we can celebrate with you. Does that make sense? But friends, you don't get saved again. I want to get saved for the first time again. No, it's one time. You surrender your life to Jesus. When you give yourself fully to God, he gives himself fully to you. Nothing and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. He who began the good work and you will carry it to completion until the day of Jesus. Friends, you will make it. Because God will make sure of it. Guys, he loves you that much. It's a gift that he wants to offer. So with every head up and every eye open, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and he's not your Lord, but tonight or sometime earlier this week, you say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus I surrender everything. He's now Lord of my life, and I want to follow him. I know he died on a cross and came back from the dead. I want to receive his gift of salvation that I could be forgiven in a right relationship with God. If that's you with everyone up, or everyone, everyone, every head up, every eye open, everyone's watching, would you do us a favor and just let us celebrate with you? Would you stand up if you want to surrender your life to Jesus? Go ahead. Stay standing if you're there. Don't sit down yet. For those of you who are standing, I just want you to respond out loud to two questions. By standing up, are you saying that you're declaring that Jesus is now master of your life? And by standing up, are you declaring that you believe that he died on a cross and came back from the dead? Then welcome to the family of God.
You can have a seat. You can have a seat. Give me just a couple more minutes. For some of you, you've made the decision for Jesus, but you wandered off. You got to repent. You got to come back. Because sin is devouring you. It's destroying you. Some of you say, well, Brian, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm just not practicing. That's like me saying I'm married. I'm just not practicing. You got to repent. Turn away from sin and come to Jesus. This isn't for salvation again. It's for intimacy and fellowship with the Savior you already surrendered your life to. But come back. I beg you, please. Others of you, you're broken. Like you love Jesus, but man, this is a hard time. And nobody knows. It's just you and you. You're even afraid to tell it to God. But what if tonight, what if, what if tonight is the night he says, it's done? So if you're one of those two camps and it's none of my business, I don't need to know why you're standing up. So either you're repenting and coming back into fellowship with your creator, or you're just saying, God, I gotta confess I'm broken. Oh God, please help. If you're in one of those two camps, would you stand up? Youth workers, youth pastors, let me encourage you for a moment. Isn't this why you do what you do? Hume Lake staff, isn't this why you do what you do? Never let this get old. Never become skeptical of this. Friends, what we have seen tonight is people pass from death to life. We've seen people respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to repent from sin and to come back to confess brokenness to the healer who wants to help. Friends, these are the most powerful miracles of God. And you got to witness them tonight. Let's all stand and pray and celebrate what it is that God has done.